Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the ministers here at the Madison Church of Christ. It's our hope and prayer that the teaching from God's Word you hear today will bless your life and draw you closer to Him. If you're ever in the Madison, Alabama area, we'd love for you to worship with us on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.30 a.m. If you have any other questions about the Bible or want to know more about the Madison Church, find us at madisonchurch.org. Be sure to also check out our Bible study podcast, Madison Church of Christ Bible Studies. Thanks again for stopping by. Every single Christmas, my family and I would head down to South Georgia to spend that Christmas with my grandmother. And when you go to grandma's house, one of the things, of course, you get is really, really good food. Uh, But a lot of times you get really, really good gifts, uh, or at least most people do. And one of the things that would happen to me as a little boy, and maybe some of you did this when you were little too, whenever you got a present, especially as a little boy, you would shake the present, move it around. And why would you do that? Well, you wanted to figure out what was inside that box. And as a young man, one of the things oftentimes I was listening for before I even opened the gift, as I was moving it around, was to hear maybe like a cling, a clang, or a clunk. Because usually if you heard like a cling, a clang, or a clunk, it usually was a cool gift. You know, there was something like heavy inside. It could have been like, you know, a remote control car. Uh, You know, if you were really, really lucky or blessed, you would get like maybe a Nintendo or a Super Soaker or something like that. But I remember every time at my grandma's house that when I got the gift and I would move it around, I never heard any clunking or clinging or clanging. All that I heard was swooshing. And swooshing is not what you wanted to hear because swooshing usually meant it was, guess what? Clothes. Someone I heard out there said socks, and that's exactly what I got year in and year out was socks. Or one year, she decided to mix things up, and I got a turtleneck. Um, And now, don't get me wrong, I I am super grateful, and I'm even going to share with you at the very end of the message today how and why my perspective changed about that gift. But part of what made it so difficult for me to appreciate the swooshing is because when I would go back to school in January and my friends and I would all talk about our gifts, you know, they would talk about maybe the remote control car that they got. Some would talk about the Super Soaker or the Nintendo that they got from their grandparents. And although I was warm in my turtleneck, I so bad wanted what they had. And I don't know if that's ever happened before to you that you've opened up a box, you've looked in it, and you wish so bad there was something different inside that you wish that you got something different. Well, I would dare to say that a lot of you probably have felt that way when it comes to a gift, but I know almost every single one of us have probably felt that way at one time or another when we've looked in the mirror. We look in the mirror, and so often we do not see what God sees. We look, and when we look, oftentimes we say, I wish there was something different in here. I wish I got something different. And oftentimes what happens is we fixate so much on our gaps, our deficiencies, we end up missing the gifts that God has given us. And that's exactly what we're going to notice this morning with a guy in the Bible that is so complex, that so much of his Bible, the Bible covers his story that he is a man that God has called to something. He has gifted him to do something. 
and other people can see it, but the problem for Saul is Saul cannot see it within himself. And I think we relate to that a good bit, that we've noticed times where it's easy to point out other people's gifts and other people's strengths, but it's very easy to miss our own. And so what we're going to do today is look at his very complex life, but use it as we've done throughout this whole series for it to be reflective of our own. And so his story starts in a very unique way, and I appreciate so much, Hunter, how he read Scripture, because one of the things that was happening is God's people were crying out for an earthly king. And you might have experienced this maybe when you were a kid or if you've had kids of your own, that sometimes you will tell your kids something and they will not listen, and you tell them over and over again, and then you eventually get to a point, you know, they're going to have to learn it on their own. And so sometimes we're like, well, here you go. You experience what that's like on your own. And so Israel's like, well, listen, we want a king. God said, I am your king. And he's like, no, I'm your king. And they said, well, we want a king like everybody else. Well, fine. You experience what it's like to have all of your focus, all of your energy, all your, your hope, everything attached to an earthly king and see how that turns out. And so he raised up this guy named Saul. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And what's interesting, though, about Saul is that God called him to this position. He gifted him to do this position. Other people could see that he had what it takes. But the problem so often for Saul is he didn't see that he had that. And so what I want us to do today is to look in his, this text and notice it was no accident that God had called him to this. Because look at this random detail that leads to him finding out that he's going to be king. It says that the donkeys of Kish, which were Saul's uh, father's donkeys, they were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, will you take one of the young men that was a servant and will you go and look for the lost donkeys? So that's exactly what they do. They go on this donkey searching event, go to try to find the donkeys that are lost and eventually, they've been looking evidently so long for these donkeys that Saul says to the servant here, beginning in verse 5, Hey, listen, I know my dad really cares about the donkeys, but I also know he cares way more about us than some lost donkeys. So what he's going to want is probably for us to come home now. And, and I love how the servant said, yep, that, I, I, I agree. However, one thing that I do know, knowing the location where we're at, there's this seer, his name's Samuel, and, and Samuel kind of knows the buzz of what's going on in town. He's probably heard that there's a bunch of donkeys lost, so maybe he can point us in the right direction. Saul agrees. Well, yeah, let's go see this guy. And as they're going, if you continue to read in verse 7 and 8, what happens is Saul said to the servant, well, if we go, what are we going to give the guy? See, because during this day, any time you got a service like this from somebody, they give, they've given you wisdom, they've given you help, you would usually give them a, a thank you card of some sort, whether that be in the form of bread uh, or uh, jewelry or some kind of gift. They start going through their bags. They start reaching into their pockets. We're like, man, I can't find anything. And all of a sudden, the servant reaches out in his pocket. He's like, you know what? I've got a coin. I mean, it's not a lot. It's a, it's a quarter of a shekel of silver, but it's something. He said, that'll work. So they, they make their way to Samuel the seer's house. Now, keep in mind, just to show you how much God's thumbprint was on this whole thing, the day before, the Lord came to Samuel and said this to him, hey, tomorrow, at about this time, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Well, what was Saul? 
who's a Benjamite. He says, and you're going to anoint him to be prince over all of my people, and he will save my people from the hand of the Philistines. And so the servant and Saul show up at the house of Samuel the seer, and they're like, hey, we're looking for the seer. He's like, well, that's me. He said, actually, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up before me to the high place. For today, you're going to eat with me, and in the morning, I will let you go, and I will tell you everything that's on your mind. And I love this. He says, well, as for your donkeys, well, they were lost three days ago. Don't even think about them anymore because they will be found. What he's saying is, you came here searching for a donkey, but God is about to put a crown on your life. I want you to think about this for just a second. Every single one of us have arrived wherever it is that we are at. And a lot of times when we look at where God has placed us, sometimes it seems random. That all these things just so happen to fall in place is what we'll often say. But it's interesting, this guy is out searching for donkeys and God uses a very mundane event to bring about his purpose. And the reason why I want to highlight that is I think one of the things the world tries to tell us is that the big moments of life, the the really special times, yeah, those are relegated to just, you know, you know, those, those big moments that those major core memories. And yes, God does a lot in those times, but here they're out just chasing donkeys. Isn't that a, a picture of how God operates that we think the the opportunities of life and the prize of life are are the big moments that happen occasionally. God's saying, no, they're the things that you are taking part in daily if you just see that I'm in on the details. Here's why I bring this up. You read this whole text, it is no accident that he's about to be king. It's so obvious that God is in on the details. It was no accident that his dad owned donkeys. It's no accident that the donkeys were lost. It was no accident that the servant remembered that they're in a region near Samuel, and it's no accident that Samuel lived in the region near where the donkeys were lost, and it's no accident that the servant had a coin in his pocket, and it's no accident that on this trip there's a lady that as they get lost say, go this way. Like all these things happen, and it's absolutely no accident. And the reason why I want you to think about that, there, with God, there is no such thing as the mundane. That every single moment when, when understanding God is in on the details is important. So I, I mentioned earlier, you know, you're, you've arrived where you're at. And, and you've gotten to be where you are here. And I, I don't know what got you here, but you're here. I believe, just like Saul, it was absolutely no accident. But I also know you were made for more than just arrival. Saul arrived at all the right places in his life. But what I hope you see this morning is every single one of us were made more than just arriving at certain places. He wants us to do something once we arrive. And so he does get anointed. And they put the flask of oil on him and it says poured over his head. And Samuel kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people and will save them from the hand of the surrounding enemies. Is this not amazing? This guy starts his day searching for donkeys and ends up finding out that he's going to be given keys to the kingdom. Isn't it interesting how God can a lot of times use those small tasks to accomplish a great purpose? We just have to see that he's in on those details. I think a lot of us have those donkey hunting days, (laughs) 
Maybe it's your job, maybe whatever it is, but seeing that God is in on the details gives you a huge different perspective. But I also want you to see something about Saul. Saul, to me, had all the the signs and everything required to do what God had called him to do, which was to lead the people. In fact, if you look in uh, chapter 10 of 1 Samuel in verse 6, it's very clear that God had called him to do this. Because it says the spirit of the Lord had rushed upon Saul. So God's spirit was with him. Then a chapter later, or before that, it said that a few verses, excuse me, that he was anointed. So God was evidently calling him to this. Number two, he was gifted for it. If you look in 1 Samuel 9 verse 1, it says that he was tall and handsome. And the reason why that was an important detail to mention there, the Bible's not just trying to say, hey, he's tall. We thought you would want to know his height. Um, that during this day, height meant something. If you were a tall person, it was seen that you were going to be in leadership. They believed it was no accident that you were tall, and so usually height meant that you had been trained or taught how to lead. So a lot of his life had prepped him to lead, uh, to, to be a, a person of influence. But if you'll notice as we continue to read in the text today, other people took notice. The reason why I mentioned his profile is that the child of God, that is the exact profile that God's given us. Number one, we all have a calling that's placed on our lives. A calling is different than a job. Jobs change. Callings do not. And the reason why that matters is it doesn't matter what earthly job you have, you can bring God's calling into that. He has called us to do these two things, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul and our mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I don't care what career path you're on. I don't care what neighborhood you've lived in. It's not about the neighborhood. It's not about the job. It's about bringing the calling to that. And so when we see that, yes, the job is great, but calling is everywhere I go, it transforms the way we see it. But number two, we've all been gifted. I think about uh, what Paul said in Ephesians 2.10. He says that you are God's workmanship. You have been created by him to do good works. And it says that he prepared this for a long time ago for you to be where you're at and to do what you do. In fact, you might remember how we've shared before that every single person has a shape. That's the acrostic for you have a spiritual gift. You have a heart for something. You have certain abilities. You have a perspective that is unique to you. And you've been through things. You have experience that only you have You've been called to it. You've been gifted for it. And I would dare to say a lot of you, the reason why you're in the job you're in too is because other people have seen something in you. So here's the issue. He's been called to it. He's been gifted for it. Other people see it. But just like us, oftentimes we miss that we've been called to it, gifted for it, and that other people see it. So I want to ask you this question. What are you going to do with the calling God has placed on your life? Let's see what Saul does. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. And the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. So I want to set the scene. This is kind of like a coronation. He's assembling all the different groups of people to present their brand new king. And then it says this in verse 21. But when they were looking for him, they could not find him. 
In this next part, I personally read humorously. So they inquired of the Lord. They're like, uh, God, is there somebody else you're looking for? Is there somebody else, you know, to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So they ran and took him from there. And notice what the Bible points out again. When he was standing among the people, he was taller than any of the other people from shoulders upward. So whenever I read this and I see this, this is the picture that pops into my mind of Shaq hiding behind a tree. We see you. All right, you're taller than everybody else. So everybody else sees it, but he's hiding. And and the Bible says that he was hiding behind baggage. The word baggage in Hebrew comes from the Hebrew word, which is, sounds like the word Kelly. And Kelly is one of those terms that refers to a lot of things. And, And this is why I think the Bible purposefully makes the baggage vague. Because it's not about the baggage. It's about what's causing him to hide behind it. See, because baggage in Hebrew could mean several things. Uh, Baggage could mean accessories. It could mean jewelry. Um, That baggage, it oftentimes, sometimes could have been food. Uh, Most commentators and commentaries say that they believe it would have been weapons that were packed in. And one thing we find out later that he definitely packed in his bag was a spear. Um, We don't necessarily know what the baggage was, but here's what we do know about him, is he was hiding. And and I want you to think about this for just a second. The question for all of us, because we all hide behind something. Some of us, we hide behind a job. Some of us hide behind a status or money. The question for us, just like Saul, is not what are you hiding behind? But I think the better question to ask is, why are you hiding? So I want to ask you about Saul. Like, Saul, why are you hiding? Well, there's two main thoughts. One of the main thoughts that I guess is less popular is that Saul was just trying to be humble. Uh, maybe he's a little more timid. He's more of a shy guy. And, and I can definitely see that because I, I, by the way, and I'm going to share a little bit more about this later, I kind of feel sorry for him because he didn't ask for this. You know, he, he shows up. And by the way, if you continue to read the text, he shows up to look for donkeys. And eventually it says in the text that 30 men are sitting at a table like, welcome. Like he didn't ask for any of this, but yet this is where he is. And so some believe that he's maybe shy and timid, but even if he's shy and timid, if you go back to chapter 10, verse seven, right after it says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, it then in verse seven says that God has told him to step out knowing that he has a blessing. So either way, to me, hiding is inexcusable, no matter what the reason is. And the reason why I want to mention that is because you look later on in his life, it seems to me that part of the reason he may be hiding is because he's overtaken with fear. He doesn't think he has what it takes. He doesn't see the gift. He doesn't see the calling. He doesn't even believe that other people could see that he has it. So he struggles to see what God sees So when I was thinking about this, I started to think, well, if it's not about the baggage, but it's about the why, what is it that sometimes causes us to hide our gifts? Well, I think it's maybe a few things. One of those that Saul definitely struggled with is this, talent comparison. That you see what other people have, and you know that the quickest way to kill contentment in life is through comparison. 
Uh, when I uh, was in middle school, uh, I played football well, and I I was on a football team, and there's a big difference between being on a team and playing. I was on a team, okay? And this was the very first time that I played football, and our coach, Coach McBrayer, said to the the guys, he's like, all right, what I want to do is, I know some of you have played before, some of you have not, and to those that have not played before, I kind of wanted to know what you might want to play, but also to those that have played, I want to know what your experience is and what you would like to play this year on the football team. So he went around and asked each person, and my favorite football player during that time uh, was Peter Warwick. He was a wide receiver for Florida State, and so I told him, when he came to me, he's like, Itson, what do you want to play? And I said, wide receiver. He was like, okay, uh, that sounds good. And so he then kind of leads us through drills to see what our abilities and gifts were, and so he says, Itson, I want you to run a five and out. And so I ran the five but I never got out. And the reason I never got out is we had a boy on our team named Robert. In the sixth grade, he was like 180 pounds and had armpit hair. He was way ahead of me, okay? And I I told the earlier crowd, I looked him up just for fun on Facebook, and he is still massive, okay? So I ran the five, but the reason I never got out is Robert knew I was going out, and he just trucked me. And so coach, you know, McBrayer lifts me up, he pulls me to the side, and of all the comforting things that he could ask me or mention to me in that moment, he leans in and he says to me, he's like, hey, don't you also play soccer? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he goes, well, maybe you should be the kicker. So I was the kicker. But anyway, I, I say all that to say I was not Robert. That was not my gift. That was not my talent, right? But whether it's comparing our tens of thousands to our thousands, the reality remains we still have gifts. And and by spending so much time comparing our highlight reels to theirs or whatever it might be, the danger of comparison is comparison does two things. It either makes you feel superior to somebody or inferior to somebody, and neither of those destinations are things that honor our God. Stop comparing what God has already blessed you with. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's your past. You think, well, this person knows exactly what I've done. And, or because they know that I've maybe failed in this very thing before, why would I try that knowing what I know about what they know? And so because we know what they know about us, we don't move forward. We don't want to try it. They're not going to take me serious. They would never listen to somebody like me. And so then what happens is we miss out on the freedom that comes with calling because we're stuck in what God has already redeemed. So what we do is we don't employ our talents. We don't employ our gifts because we focus more on gossip than the gospel. And we frame our whole ability to move forward on whispers and what people might think. Maybe for some of us, it's what I struggle with. And that was fear well, if I do this, I could fail. And if I do this, it may not work out. And maybe you've been there before. That maybe we have some people that are even perfectionist in the crowd. Probably not. But we at times may see the opportunity to do something and we think, man, it, what if it doesn't work out? Did you know that one of the greatest leadership traits is somebody that's willing to try something in faith that may even fail? There can actually be fruit in failing because, yes, maybe you didn't get to the exact destination, but in that process, you learned a lot about you, and you also learned a lot of ways not to do that thing. And at the end of the day, we're going to stand before Jesus, 
And he's going to ask us, hey, what did you do with what I entrusted you with? We're going to have to answer for that. Don't let fear lead to the tragedy of an unopened gift. And I understand anytime you open a gift, there's a risk. I think about the fact that if you open it or you accidentally rip it open, you can't take it back, right? There's always a risk involved. But what I want you to know, it's a risk worth taking. There's always going to be fruit in it. The fourth thing that maybe you're hiding behind is laziness. It's simply the fact that you know that if you do whatever it is, that there's going to be something required of you, and you just don't want to do that. I don't know what it is that you're hiding behind, but it's not about the baggage. The better question to ask is, why am I hiding? So here's what's interesting. Saul, the people kind of bring him up as like, man, you got this. You can do this. You've been called to it. You've been gifted for it. Other people can see it. And so you get into 1 Samuel 11. And by the way, this sermon started out as 12 pages and needed to be four. So this has been really hard to get Saul's life into a concise message. So we're going to kind of highlight this. But Saul ends up leading his people to victory. And what happens is the Ammonites are attacking a small group of Israel. And they are, are trying to figure out a way to save themselves against the Ammonites. And they say, can we make a treaty? And they say, sure. We'll make a treaty with you as long as we can gouge out one of your eyes. And Saul's like, no, you're not doing that at my people. He comes in, wipes them out so much that there's not even enough of them to run away in pairs. Like an amazing victory. But have you noticed something throughout this series that is a consistent pattern with the judges and the kings? That right after there is a victory, God loves to send somebody to remind you to remember to be what? Humble. And so Samuel is sent to him. And Samuel comes up to him. He's like, man, that was great victory. That was wonderful. But just a reminder that God didn't want us to have an earthly king in the first place. And, and just a reminder that what can oftentimes happen, that when you experience success, that you can start to forget the God that gave you that success. So just, just heed this warning. Remain humble. And it sounds like he listens, but then you get to 1 Samuel 13. And what happens in 1 Samuel 13, they're getting ready to offer a sacrifice to thank God for giving them delivery in, in that battle. And what ends up happening is Samuel said, hey, I'm going to be there in just a little bit. I'm going to help you offer that sacrifice because it's Samuel's job to offer the sacrifice, not Saul. And usually during this day that you offered sacrifices in the morning or in the evening, morning came and morning went. Breakfast passed Samuel has not shown up. Saul's getting impatient. The soldiers that are standing with him are getting impatient. Lunch comes, lunch goes. Samuel's nowhere to be found. Dinner comes, and eventually the pressure gets to a point, I think, for him to where you can even tell that he's trying to, he didn't want the soldiers to think he's lost control. He doesn't want them uh, to think that he can't lead. So he offers up this sacrifice that God did not call him to offer, but for Samuel to do it, Samuel shows up as like, no, that's my gift. That's my talent. That's what God has called me to do. He did not tell you to do that. And again, you would think that would be enough to get Saul's mind going in the right direction but what's interesting, you flip one chapter later, they're battling against the Amalekites. Instead of completely destroying the enemy, he keeps a little bit of the stuff for himself and keeps its even leader around. And isn't that an example of sin that a lot of times we'll say, 
you know, I've removed this from part of my life, but we give an avenue. We still have a little bit of a way. Or we still keep a little bit around. And, and the danger of what ends up happening later, this decision plagued them hundreds of years later. The same thing for our sin, the same for our choices. Saul keeps some stuff for himself. And you can start to see his downfall. As I was going through the text this week, one of the things that just stuck out to me personally is I got to a point where I really did kind of feel for him. And I think the reason why, I'm not excusing him, and I don't think any of us do, but I think that every single one of us, that if we were to highlight his name as we go from 1 Samuel 9 all the way through 20 and on, and we were to replace his name with our name, we could see ourselves in his story. Because just like him, we try to rush things, put them on our timing. Just like him, I think a lot of times we hide behind stuff. And a lot of times, we didn't even ask for it. And we feel like, well, that's a good enough reason for me not to do it. Do you see what I'm saying? I guess I'm saying there's a lot of Saul in me, and I think there's a lot of Saul in us at times. And, and as I was reading through that, the one thing that seemed to be highlighted by the cheers of the people, but also I think the voices within inside Saul was this, check out that guy, what he's able to do, check out that guy and his charisma. And the reason why I want to point this out, that whenever God has given you a talent, focus on character more than charisma. Because charisma has a dead end. It can only take you so far. Because during moments of pressure that Saul is going to experience, when moments of pressure come to a person that focuses on charisma more than character, guess what comes to the surface? Anger. Pride. I was, as I was reading this, uh, some of you may have heard of this story. It's popped up on ESPN a few times it's the story of O.J. Simpson, but from the perspective of Willie Mays. I don't know if y'all remember that Willie Mays and O.J. Simpson actually had a conversation a long, long time ago. So Willie Mays, of course, was a well-known, very popular baseball player for the San Francisco Giants. He may play for other people too. Um, but Willie Mays got a call from a school counselor, and she said, all right, I wanted to see if you could talk to this young man. He is so talented. He's got so many gifts. And the thing about him, he's incredibly charismatic. Like the people, they just love him. And even though he's got incredible gifts, and he, even though he's really charismatic, the problem is he keeps getting himself in trouble. So Willie, could you talk to him and kind of give him some words of advice and some help? And so Willie agreed. And if you've ever watched the little clip of him talking about this, he shares what he did. He said, you know what I did with him is I, I showed him my house and I showed him my car and I said, man, if you, if you work hard and you stay on track, you can get this, this, and this. But one of the things that they talk about in that documentary, in that series, is that one of the things that continued to be focused on about him was his charisma. But as we know, 1994, he ends up being accused of murder, runs away from the police. It's such a sad situation that he was gifted other people could see it, but the problem is, I think for him, it wasn't that the gift wasn't there. It wasn't that, that the talent wasn't there and the opportunity wasn't there. But as we're going to talk about as we conclude today, 
his talent was not grounded in the soil of humility, so it didn't give it a good place to grow. Whatever talent you have, always emphasize character more than charisma. So what ended up happening in Saul's life, and if you don't know, I'll give you a little bit of an explanation. God raises up this guy named David. In fact, in, in chapter 19, and you look in the ones before this, it said, Saul is not the man for the job. He is definitely not the man for the job. And so God raises up this guy named David. And, and David, you know, kills that giant. And then it goes on to say this, that after he returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of the cities of Israel. They were singing, they were dancing to meet Saul. And he's probably thinking, oh man, they're going to tell, hey, great decision with David. That's awesome. Oh, and they mentioned Saul, but not in the way he wants them to. It says this, the women were singing to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Like we talked about earlier, sometimes we compare our thousands to tens of thousands, realizing that both of them are thousands, right? So Saul was very angry and it was displeasing him. And if you look in the next verse, it says that he wants to do something about it. He wants to put an end to him. So this guy that was so gifted, that had an incredible calling on his life, other people could see it, he missed it. And like I said, kind of with comparison, one of the things that also produces is covetousness. When we notice what we don't have, if we focus on that, it can make us angry. It can make us vengeful. And so what ends up happening with Saul is he goes on this manhunt to try to kill David. We don't know what was in the baggage, and I jokingly said earlier that one thing that we do know that was in there was a spear. And, and I want to invite you to turn with me real quick to 1 Samuel 19. And I want you to turn to verse 8 because there's a really interesting detail that I, I think shows us how we handle our good moments and our bad moments, but also how we handle our talents, but also maybe the things we're not talented in. He says in verse 8 this, There was war again. David went out and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a great blow, and so they fled. And then it says in verse 9, A harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. And he was sitting in his house, and what was in his hand? A spear. And notice right after that, it says, and David, what was in in his hand? A harp. David here is carrying a harp while Saul forgot to pack his harp, (laughs) but he did pack a spear. And the reason why I want to highlight that David went through, just like Saul, some very difficult moments. He chose the wrong paths, but there was oftentimes where he chose the right path. What, what I appreciate about David, that even though Saul and David's stories, if you think about it, are incredibly close parallels because they were both called to it, they were both gifted for it, other people could see it, the reason why the two of them have completely different destinations is because during moments of pressure, Saul resorted to a spear. But during moments of pressure for David, good and bad, that he resorted to the heart. And, and the reason why I think that that's so incredibly important is a harp will keep you humble. 
I used to kind of always think of the spear as a weapon and then the harp as the instrument. But what if the harp is actually the weapon? That the weapon for us is worship. That if, if we keep our hearts fixed on him and understand how to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the way he wants us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. If we keep a hand on the harp, here's the neat thing, God's going to keep his hand on the spear. So I want to encourage you to, to be reminded of what makes our godly talents that God has given us grow. It's when those things are grown in the, the ground of humility. Saul's life had a, a very sad ending. And this guy that had so much promise, that, that was called to it, that was gifted for it, and other people could see it, he oftentimes missed what God saw. And, and I noticed that each and every turn of his life, he arrived so often at all the right places. But we know, like we talked about this morning, that our life is not just about arrival. It's what God wants us to do once we get there. You know, I, I shared with you earlier how my uh, gifts that my grandmother gave me, um, sometimes I wasn't uh, that grateful for, like I should when I found out what other people got and what other people received, I wish there would have been something different in there and I wish I would have got something different. But you know what's interesting? As I got older, I really started to be grateful and actually very appreciative for those socks. See, the reason why I grew in more appreciation of the socks is because I started to learn more about my grandma. Uh, most of my childhood, my grandmother was a widow. And I remember a little bit of, of the way she cared for my granddad when he had Alzheimer's. And it was incredible the way she cared for him. And as I got older, I started to find out that she had no income at all. And she had a, she let some of the people or even around the farmland help use that farmland for them. And, and then also I found out that the way that she funded all these grandkids' Christmas gifts is she would go into their yard that was filled with pecan trees. She would have this little rolling thing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. She would roll it, pick up pecans. And even on occasions, this older woman was throwing a football up into the tree just to knock some down. She would collect those pecans, turn them in, and get money so she could buy her Christmas presents. When you start to learn something about the gift giver, you start to better appreciate the gift. Maybe you're struggling to appreciate the gifts that you've been given. We could, in fact, even as I was going through this, I was looking up like advice on how to encourage us to use what we've been given. The best advice is get to know the gift giver. When you understand how much has been given up for you and me? Jesus died on a cross for you. He's entrusted you with so much. He's gifted you with something. He's called you to something. Other people can see it. When you start to appreciate the gift giver, you'll better appreciate the gift. Maybe you're here today, and, and part of the issue for you is you know that you've been given a gift, but part of it you've been hiding. You've been hiding behind what other people have been given. You've been hiding behind fear, your past. Maybe for you, it's simply laziness. I don't know what it is for you 
this morning, I encourage you to come out of hiding. That maybe you need to come forward and ask for prayers or go to one of our shepherds at one of the exits. Maybe for some of you, you've never even made the decision to put on Christ in baptism. And when I read in 1 Samuel 10, verse 6, that before Samuel did anything, it says the Spirit of the Lord rushed over him. That you and I cannot do what God calls us to do without his Spirit. Read in Acts 2, verse 38, that this group of people, that man, talk about didn't get along, different backgrounds, all these kind of things. When he says, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, this group of people that had so many different talents, so many different backgrounds, all of a sudden they come together as Holy Spirit people come together through the power of God and accomplish so much. What happened? They knew that they needed someone other than them or themselves to get them where they needed to go. Maybe you've never made that decision. You've never made that decision to put on Christ in baptism. You've been thinking about it. You've been praying about it. I encourage you to do that today. So whatever it is that you have a need of today to come out of hiding or to put on Christ, we encourage you to do so while we stand and we sing this song.